Welcome to the Bloom and Grow podcast, where we share stories of those who have grown through grief and break down barriers that isolate us in those challenging parts of our lives. We know that time doesn't heal, but intention does. There isn't a before and after in grief, but we grow through it. Many days more difficult than others. The weight of grief doesn't get any lighter, but we can get better at carrying it. This podcast isn't just for those going through something sad or difficult, but it's also for those who know someone who is, by sharing tips and perspectives in how to be a better support for our loved ones that are grieving. I'm your host, Liz Fidler, and thanks for blooming and growing with us. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Bloom and Grow with Liz Fidler. I am your host, Liz Fidler. And today's episode, I really want to talk about ripping off the band-aids when you've gone through grief after a loss. My specific example is being widowed at the age of 31. There were a lot of band-aids that I had to rip off, and I'm going to share some tough ones in the very beginning, but I want to share some hope for those of you that are going through a hard time right now. And maybe it seems like all you're doing is ripping off band-aids and doing really, really, really hard things that nobody should ever have to do. And you're angry because what used to be something that you never gave a second thought to is causing you to just be crippled with anxiety and it's the hardest thing you've ever done and people don't understand why it's so hard for you to do a daily task, but it's because it reminds you of your loss and it's something that you shouldn't have to be doing. You shouldn't have to do this. Um, You know, when Josh first passed away, there were things like, you know, I'm, I'm, I would get so upset because, you know, I remember my, my waste management bill was late because I, he paid it annually. I didn't know that. I didn't know it didn't automatically come out of our checking account. I wasn't watching for that bill. We paid it annually in January and he passed away in December. And finally in May, I get a phone call from them and they just kept picking up my trash. I kind of wish they had stopped because (laughs) then at least I would have known, but there was just so much mail and so many things. And I got a late fee of like $200 and I want to say it's like $700 a year for my garbage and waste management. And they called and they were like, yep, we're, you know, your late fees are piling up. And I was like, this is crap. And I guess I was mad about the late fee. I was mad about, you know, all of it, but I was mostly mad because I shouldn't have to do this. Josh did this. We were very much a divide and conquer couple. We trusted each other to, stay in our own lane and get our own things done. And why would I worry about how the waste management bill got paid? Cause he was the one who took care of that. You know, so I was so upset when I had to be the one to do it, but there's just all these little things of ripping off band-aids and it's the first and the first few years, it's so cruel because it's things that you have to do. But now I want to share where I'm at. It's actually today as I'm recording this, it's Monday, December 4th. This coming Saturday, December 9th, will be three years since he passed away. And I'm actually, I'm ripping off Band-Aids because I want to. And I know, you know, it's taken some time, but I'm to the point now where I'm like, okay, I know it's going to hurt the first time, but it's going to be so much better when I finally do it. 
And the thing that I'm going to talk about is going for a run on the treadmill. I did it a couple weeks ago and it was the first time I got on a treadmill since my husband died on a treadmill, but it's, it's not something I had to do. It was something I I've been wanting to do because I miss it because I love, I used to love running and I just didn't want that to be held over me anymore. And so I just hope that if there are things that are hard for you to do, that you're able to do them. So, you know, maybe it's, you know, the ripping off the band-aids. It's, it's attending that first event by yourself when your spouse isn't there. Or for me, it was marking the box on marital status and having to check widowed and staring for hours at an emergency contact form for myself as I'm pregnant, wondering, should I put my mom? But she's three hours away. Maybe I should put my friend Sarah because she lives close and who is my emergency contact and, you know, filling out the forms for school or daycare again for my child. If I don't answer, that's the next person that they call. But again, my family's three hours away. Who, who do I have that's going to do that? Who's, who's done that for me before? And so just not knowing who to put, you know, and those are all band-aids that I have to rip off. And the longer you stare at it, you know, it, it just gets worse and worse, but then like I said, I'm to the point now where I'm so excited to be able to choose to rip off the band-aids because they're going to bring me joy again. So I'm going to actually read you guys a little bit of an excerpt from the book that I'm writing about the chapter about running. And at the end, I'm going to share some thoughts on the treadmill. So this is going to be a little bit different than any episodes we've ever done because it might seem like I'm reading it and it's because I am. Usually it's a little bit more candid like this intro has been, but I used to be a runner. My senior year of high school, I gained 10 pounds. Growing up in rural Midwest high school in the mid 2000s, there wasn't much to do. So our idea of fun was going to an abandoned gravel pit or whoever's parents were out of town for the weekend and drinking lots of beer and alcohol. I'm not kidding when I say everybody did it. I'd estimate less than 25% of our grade and the grade above me, and the grade below me, got drunk every single weekend. I have heard that it's changed, or at least people are smart about it, and God, I hope so. But I mean, we we grew up just, that's what we did. It was almost 20 years ago that I graduated high school, and that was that was our entertainment. So I gained weight. You know, I just, that that's just, that was the unhealthy lifestyle that we lived in the Midwest. And I went to college 25 minutes away, South Dakota State, the land of bush light. So from my junior year of high school until my junior year of college, I gained about 40 pounds. Technically, I'm just shy of 5 foot 10 and my BMI was still at the 25 mark. So I wasn't overweight, but my God, I was unhealthy. I was in the nursing program and I had a regulus curriculum compared to most of my friends that were egg majors. And don't get me wrong, they had to take some challenging classes like microeconomics or whatever, but... I never had more than one easy class per semester. I always had a lot of really hard classes. So my junior year of college, I lost maybe 10 of those 40 pounds by trying to go to the gym when I could go. And I didn't really eat that healthy, but I didn't really know what I was doing. So my friends and I would watch these Jillian Michaels DVD workouts called No More Trouble Zones. And because we were delusional enough to think that if we just did some sit-ups, we would lose our beer guts. Well, not quite. That May, I knew I'd be living at home all summer that I turned 21 in August and I was turning 21 that August. So again, 
lots of just alcohol. I'm not saying I was an alcoholic. I'm just saying like we drank beer and ate fast food. I don't know. I think it, I think it's gotten better now. Apparently kids these days drink water and do yoga and (laughs) meditate and have a skincare routine. And that was not us. That was not, that was not us. So I was working at a local nursing home and I knew I wanted to lose, you know, 20 to 30 pounds, but I also wanted to learn to just get healthier. So there was really no excuse. And the majority of my friends were already 21 and I was almost 21. So I didn't want to like get a minor. So I just kind of stayed home all summer and worked a ton. So I crash dieted and I started running. I had never ran more than a mile in my entire life. And this was before smartphones and I didn't even wear a regular watch, let alone a GPS one. So I would drive a route with my car and hit the trip meter to see how far I would go. And I would aim for two to four miles. Once I knew these routes, I ran that route every single day. I ran up and down my parents' road, around the bend and back, knowing which routes to avoid because of the neighbor dogs. And by the time I went back to college my senior year, I was back to what I weighed as a junior in high school. So I lost about 30 pounds that summer because I had already lost 10 pounds before. And I still wouldn't say I was healthy as I would literally eat nothing but a pack of tuna on days that I knew I was going to go out to the bars with my friends or whatever. And, you know, but my running habit was born. I would run outside unless it was downpouring or a blizzard. And I would run around the track at college and I wouldn't count the laps. I would just run for 20 to 40 minutes straight. So running was somewhat of a punishment for me from 2010 to 2013. It was an exercise that I could convince myself to do because it burned a lot of calories. I gradually increased my mileage, and once I started my RN job, I was working 12-hour shifts, and I would just make sure to run at least four days a week, anywhere from three to eight miles. I had really never run on a treadmill at that point, and I wasn't going to start. I thought I didn't like it, so even in January, I would bundle up and run outside, but I just, I ran. That's what I did for exercise. And then I met Josh, and my eyes were open to the fact that running could be fun. It was an excuse to challenge yourself and move your body and exercise and was just something you should do every day. You should just get some sort of movement. And if running was the form to do it, great. So he actually started running around the time that he was 20 as well. So around the same time that I started and he was finally diagnosed with asthma at that time as an adult. And he saw a specialist who encouraged him to start running to build up his lung functions. So he was able to wean himself off of his rescue inhaler and nearly entirely and only took his preventative inhalers as ordered. And really he was that perfect model patient. Like he just respected the opinions of those experts. And so if an asthma specialist told him, you know, Dr. Yassine told him, yep, you should start running. That'll help. Okay. So he ran five or six days a week after he had never ran and he started running like half marathons. So he really, you know, so, and he was 31 at the time that we met. So he had been a runner for like 11 years. And I remember telling him, and I was 22, almost 23 when we met. So I remember telling Josh that I had never even ran a 5k. I had ran, you know, like I said, three to eight miles, four or five times a week for years, but I had never ran a race of anything because running wasn't fun to me. It was just something I had to do so that I wouldn't get fat. And again, Fat and healthy are not the same thing, um, or unhealthy, I should say. And so it it really was that skewed diet culture. That that's not what this episode is about. But trust me, my idea of 
why I was running was not out of a healthy thing. It really was kind of a punishment. But I remember, you know, telling him, you know, and we ran together outside, but I was significantly slower than him because I I didn't really keep track. I just wanted to go for the minutes and the miles and the calories. So we decided together, he encouraged me to sign up for a half marathon um, around the time of our wedding. And he's like, you can do it. I know you can. And I just thought, okay. And that that's what he brought out in me. He just encouraged me to do things that I never would have imagined doing it. And so I, you know, I set a schedule and it was just, it was just a fun thing to train for. And I wasn't as concerned. I mean, I wanted to be skinny for my wedding, but it wasn't, you know, I learned that, okay, people actually do this for a hobby and this is fun to track it and see how fast you can go and that type of thing. And so we signed up for the same half marathon together about a year after we met and all of a sudden I was running and I was at mile like 10 and a half and I look over and he passed me and remember he was a lot faster than I am and he just looked at me and he's like what are you doing up here and I looked at him and I'm like what are you doing back here and he's like I was in the porta potty for seven minutes at mile six or whatever it was and he's like but you're really fast because he should have finished a half hour ahead of me based on, you know, what we were thinking. And again, so he passed me at mile 10 and a half and he just kind of kept going. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to keep doing it. And I had never ran a single mile under 10 minutes in my entire life at that point during this half marathon race. And I ran 13.1 in a nine minute and 30 second average. I had never run a single mile faster than 10 minute miles. So, you know, was this supposed to be a bucket list item? I just was this newfound happiness and I was obsessed with it. And so over the years, we ran tons of half marathons together. And, you know, the truth is, you know, Josh died running on a treadmill. And throughout all of my grief, I've done my best to remain rational and not let my imagination get the best of me. And I know that he did not die because of running or because of a treadmill. I know he was doing something healthy for himself and I don't associate exercise with his death and I don't associate a treadmill with his death. Okay, we're going to pause this episode. I want you, when I'm done talking, don't hit pause right now because you won't know what to do. But as soon as I'm done talking, I want you to hit pause and I want you to go into this episode and I would love if you would rate this show with a five-star rating because that is how podcasts are successful. The algorithm, what the, you know, wherever you listen, the platform of maybe it's Spotify, maybe it's Apple, maybe it's Amazon, they can keep track of what episodes have a lot of downloads. And that's where, you know, if some people are liking it, they assume other people are going to like it because they want people using their streaming service. So if you are enjoying this, go and rate us, please, please, please. Shows with a higher rating get pushed out more because they think, well, if these people like it, other people will like it. Plus, if you're looking for a show to listen to and you're like, oh, well, it has four two-star ratings, I don't think I'm going to do that one. But if it has a hundred five-star ratings, yeah, more likelihood of listening. So it would really mean a lot to us if you could just hit pause, go and give us a rating, and then come back and finish listening. Thank you so much. So after I ran that first half marathon, I became a little obsessed with getting under the two hour mark and it took me over two years to do it. 
The next half marathon I ran was a year and a half later and I did it in 204.55. My first half was 204.50. I don't know how to describe it, but that day changed me. I was aiming for under two hours and I trained for it. And around the nine mile mark, I realized that I wasn't going to hit that two hour mark. I was on track to finish at about two hours and one minute. So I did something I'm not proud of. I started walking. I was pouting. I walked for about two minutes and got passed by a man that was 80 years old. Hell no. And then I realized, okay, I could still PR. I could still get my fastest race ever. No, I'm not going to get under two hours, but my fastest race ever is 204.50. So even if I didn't get under two hours, if I got the 201 or whatever it was, even though I had walked, you know, for a couple minutes, I should be able to still hit it. So, you know, if you're not a runner or engage in fitness, a PR stands for personal record. If you get it, you get it. It's not about being the fastest one out there. It's about being better than yourself, being better than you were yesterday. That's why I love running. It's it's only racing against myself. I mean, yeah, the elite and ultra marathoners probably look at it differently, but for the most part, we're just meticulously tracking our time against ourselves and trying to improve. We are enjoying the process and making little tweaks in our exercise program just to shave off a few minutes. So I ran the last three and a half miles slightly slower than my goal race pace. And I would have set that personal record if I hadn't pouted for three minutes and started walking. When I realized I had about a half mile to go and I had under four minutes to do it, I took off, I gave it all I had and it wasn't enough. My official chip time was 204.55, five seconds slower than my personal record. I walked at least three minutes of that and it was humbling. I would have gotten a personal record if I didn't walk for those few minutes when I realized I wasn't going to hit my A goal. And I'm not kidding when I say that race changed me. It was like, wow. And I, I it's hard to describe, you know, and you might be listening to it and think like, why, you know, but the only reason I didn't meet my goal or, you know, set a record or whatever for myself was because of myself. And it just really was a mental game. So from there, I decided to run a full marathon. I ran 26.2 miles in four hours and 44 minutes and 44 seconds on October 4th. So 10-4 at a pace of 1044 a mile. That's a lot of 10 fours. So that was kind of my lucky number. So I ran that full marathon in summer of 2015. And then after that, I decided to revisit the half and keep my head down and just, you know, keep running my, my race. So my goal was to get under two hours still, and I was going to do it. So my aunt Barbie, one of the people that I literally adore most in this entire world, she lives in Arizona. She's also a runner. So she had never done a half marathon and we decided we were going to run it together. Although she didn't really time herself either, but we knew she was fast, but she didn't, you know, she didn't really know how fast she'd do it either. So I flew down there and while she and I ran a half marathon, her sons and husband ran the 10K and her two sons were ridiculously fast in high school and they were in high school still at this time of the race. And I think they finished in like the top 5% of the Phoenix 10K out of thousands of runners. They were like 40th and 42nd place or something out of thousands of runners. Um, they were so fast. And Barbie and I did our half marathon in 157.57. So I finally hit my two hour mark. And I'm going to share a little secret that we haven't really told anyone. Around the 12-mile mark of that half marathon, so we knew we were going to get under two hours. We had that runner's high. We were running at like an eight-minute pace, which for us is cruising, you know, after running 12 miles. I mean, some might think that's slow, but that was flying for us. And I had been training this 
for this for six months, like interval work where you do sprints, alternating with slow running. You know, there's a hill in Sartell outside, you know, where I lived at the time. And I just ran up and down that a dozen times, sprinting up and down the hills because you, you know, run hills to get faster and just all these little things that I had been working on. And at the 12 mile mark, you know, the race gets a lot less crowded. You know, the first few miles are constant clutter and it's, you know, people start spreading out and finding their paces. And around 100 yards ahead of us at that 12 mile mark, we saw someone collapse immediately people from the crowd and other road runners gathered around him and started doing CPR. And I could tell like they knew what they were doing. And I glanced at Barbie and I was an RN in our, in nurse practitioner school at the time. And there were like six people helping him. And there was nothing that we could have done. And I kind of looked at her like, well, should we stop? And she just looked at me and she's like, keep going, which there was nothing we could have done. But I found out later that he made it. He survived. Again, there's nothing we could have done to help. And it was crowded. And we're like, well, do we just gather around? At that point, we would have just been in the way. But it was this like, oh, God, like someone just collapsed of a heart attack. And we're just running around him. But that's not that uncommon in a race. And so if you were the man that collapsed during that race, I remember hearing in the news that you survived. I couldn't have helped you anyway. And I did pray for you a lot. And I still feel kind of guilty about not stopping. I don't know. Like, even as I say this, I'm like, this sounds so bad. But there, there is nothing we could have done. And people were already there. Now, had he collapsed right in front of us and I was the first one there to do CPR, of course I would have done it. But there were already six people doing CPR. Someone was running to get an AED. There was a medic tent. You know, someone was already calling 911. We could see that all happening. And so it's like, well, what are we going to do besides cause clutter? So we just kept running. Yeah. And then a few months later, I got another PR, which was actually when I was pregnant with Vidalia. My friend Megan, who I ironically used to date Josh at the time that his mom died. Um, she's really fast, like super fast. She has ran the Boston Marathon. So she was 11 weeks pregnant and I was seven weeks pregnant. And she paced me for another PR at 156.56. So after that, the pressure was kind of off on racing and... I wasn't so focused on like my time or anything, but I just like to run and be in the environment of other runners and, you know, I could just have fun with it. And, you know, I really wasn't on this goal of like getting faster because I had already hit kind of my goals and I wasn't really focused on that. And so Josh and I would schedule vacations around a destination because I was in school and we would time the race to be like the beginning of a trip. And enjoy some breweries and local cuisine and hiking for the rest of the trip. So we didn't exactly chase the biggest races, but we found a place we wanted to go. And I would Google races during that month. And originally I said a half marathon in every state, but that proves to be more challenging with schedules than I liked. So I settled for at least a 10K in every state and that worked out pretty well. So plus I wouldn't have to be fully trained for it. I mean, I could run a 10K in my sleep at that point. I'm not saying fast. I'm not saying great, but I could move my body for 6.2 miles. So we traveled to Maine, Colorado, Oregon, South Dakota, North Dakota. That goal has been tabled right now and I don't know if I'll revisit it. So Josh's heart attack showed no blockage. You know, it was an electrical conductivity issue. He had perfect cholesterol. It was just kind of a one in a million chance that his heart skipped a beat and it was nothing to do with running and it was nothing to do with the treadmill. He was a healthy guy. He weighed 170 pounds when he died. He picked up his running more. He took it more seriously once COVID hit because he was worried about 
pre-existing conditions. And he was like, well, I'm obese. I'm like, you are not obese. You weigh 200 pounds. You are six foot one. You run, you know, three days a week. You know, yeah, you could maybe lose 10 to 15 pounds, but like you are healthy. You are not obese. Your BMI is 26. So yeah, I guess you're technically overweight, but you are still much healthier than, you know, again, BMI, weight, scale, number doesn't always equal healthy. And he was healthy. He's like, no, I need to, I need to do everything like COVID hit. And he's like, I don't want to be, if there's something modifiable that can reduce my risk of being sick, I'm going to modify it. Okay. So he started running six days a week in March of 2020 and lost 30 pounds. Yeah. He weighed 170 pounds when he died and his cholesterol was so perfect. And I don't know, as I write this book, we are three weeks shy of the third anniversary of his death. Now today on the recording, it is five days shy. And I went on a run March of 2021, the day that I got his death certificate back. So it took almost, it, yeah, it took three and a half months to get his death certificate. So we didn't know for sure. And it was sudden cardiac death with remote global ischemic event was what it said on his death certificate. So sudden cardiac arrest. And I went for a one mile run on the day that I got the death certificate. It was one of those perfect March days in Minnesota. It was 50 degrees and sunny, but it, you know, where it, it's only 50 degrees, but it feels like you're on a beach of 80 degrees because like the snow is melting and it was just warm. And I went a couple miles and I had been exercising since he died pretty religiously. I was doing like HIIT workouts in my living room, but I wasn't running and I, the treadmill was gone. I made someone get rid of it. I, I literally don't know where the treadmill is. Like when he died, I, I looked at, I don't know, Josh's cousin and I'm like, get that freaking treadmill out of my house. And I didn't say freaking, and I don't know where it went. It was a really nice treadmill. It was like a $5,000 treadmill. We used it a lot. We ran, we both were runners. So we used that treadmill a lot and it was a nice one and I don't know where it went and I don't care. And you know, no one's ever said like, yeah, we sold it on Facebook marketplace for all I know. They brought it to a dump and I mean, I, I don't know. And so I have no idea what happened to it. You know, it's not like it was sold and whatever, but so I went for a run outside for the first time since he died or I went for a run in general and it was outside and it was really sad because I knew that like, I didn't have any joy with running and I was like, well, I'm going to find other ways to move my body throughout my pregnancy, but running just isn't going to be something I'm going to do again. And I haven't really done it since. Like I said, I went for that one run outside this past summer. I would kind of like go for a walk and maybe jog a little bit. And it, it wasn't like a mental thing. I just didn't enjoy it. But then a couple of weeks ago, I decided to get back on the treadmill. And I started working out at the end of this flower season. I'm like, all right, it's time to get back in a routine of being healthy, like eating healthy, exercising. And so I started actually working with a trainer and then um, just a couple times a week and doing some group fitness classes. I have been ever since he passed away doing a lot of at-home workouts, but like, you know, let's just get back into the gym. And so I, after one of those sessions, I just decided, you know what? I am going to just get on the treadmill and run a mile. And I didn't think about it. I just glanced at the treadmill and thought, here we go. And I mean, when I trained for half marathons, that very first, that very first full marathon, these exact treadmills at this exact gym, because we didn't used to have a home treadmill, I ran a couple 19 mile runs on a treadmill. So it's, you know, treadmills are not 
I, I actually came to really, really enjoy treadmill running. We both did. We both liked running on the treadmills. It was just predictable and you could watch TV and we just did it. But yeah, I got on and I did this weird little ladder workout that I always would do. And I set it at like 5.7, which is like a 10 and a half minute mile. And I did that for like 45 seconds. And then I'd, after 45 seconds, I'd go up by 0.2 miles. So then I'd put it up to 5.7 for about 30 seconds. And after 30 seconds, I'd go down again to 5.8. And so I'd go up by 0.2, down by 0.1, up by 0.2, down by 0.1 for like 45 and 30 second intervals, which by the time you're used to the pace changing, you got to change it back again. And it just makes the time go really fast. And so the first like 0.7 miles, I was like, all right, I'm doing it. Like I'm a little out of breath. I'm pretty out of shape. I haven't ran, but I'm doing it. And then once I realized I had about a quarter mile to go, I started really just thinking about Josh and thinking about him on that treadmill. And I just, I was like, keep going. Don't stop. Don't stop. Cause if I stopped before I got to a mile, like, like you're so close, don't give it up. And I did it. I hit stop and I just crouched down to the ground, sat at the bottom of that treadmill and I sobbed. I sobbed, I sobbed, I cried in this middle of this crowded gym. People were staring at me and I did not care. I just put my hand, put my head in my hands and I cried. And it was just this relief and like it's done. And since then I've ran twice on the treadmill. I got up to like two and a half miles the second time I ran. Again, not super fast, not super proud of my pace, but just moving my body and able to do it. And it's pretty quick how... It's pretty crazy how quick that muscle memory will come back to you. But I I just knew and and so I posted about it on Facebook and I just said, you know, I did one of the hardest band-aids to rip off. And there were a couple people that messaged me and said, you didn't have to do that, you know, like just so you know, you don't have to do anything. And and I know, and I know they mean well and I know they mean it as supportive, but that's the whole point is I know I don't have to do that. And this that's why it felt so good to there's so many things, you know, when you're widowed or when your mom dies or when you lose a child, whatever, there are so many things that you have to do. And there's no reward. There's no feeling good. I mean, I guess you can cross it off your to-do list, but like, okay, maybe it'll be easier next time. But this is one of those things that I knew after I did it, I knew it would be better. I knew that I would feel better. I knew that I'd be happier. I knew this was something I I enjoyed something that I loved and it, it just, you know, sometimes those things that bring you joy, like just find a way to do them again. And I don't, I don't know. I mean, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, hmm, maybe I'll try to run a half marathon again in the spring. There's a really nice race in St. Cloud, Minnesota that I would love to do, but we'll see. I'm not, you know, I'm, there's no, I'm not setting any expectations. I'm just going to keep, you know, through the end of the year, through the end of December, I'm just going to try to run a couple times a week in addition to any other workouts because I enjoy it. I enjoy moving my body. I enjoy working up a sweat. I enjoy getting my heart racing. I know not everyone loves running. In fact, there are a lot of people that, you know, they're, they would do anything but running and that's fine. I mean, I hate Pilates. You're going to make me do Pilates. Like, Oh my God, I don't want to do that. And so it's just those things that if you know it's going to bring you joy, like, I don't know, another one is baking. So a couple days before Josh died, I mean, he died on the 9th and Vidalia's birthday was on the 7th and I made a birthday cake for her with my friend Tammy 
Um, she helped me decorate it. It was really cute. I'd never really decorated a cake before. And two days later, on my lunch break, I was eating some leftover birthday cake probably while Josh died because he ran on his lunch break. So I was eating our daughter's leftover birthday cake while he was at home alone with our dog probably and died. And the following year, her birthday again, she goes, mom, are you going to make me a birthday cake this year? And I was like, you know, yep. And she went to bed. I opened a bottle of wine. Um, my sister was living with us. She went to bed and she was like, what is this cake looking like? You know, I'm a little buzzed off the wine, just starting to decorate and like, shut up. I'm doing it. And she's like, okay, I'm not going to ask, but we did it. And I, I made it and it now then again, last year I had fun making the cake again. And now today's Monday, her birthday is on Thursday. And like, I'm going to make her another cake again. And she is so excited for that. Some of those band-aids, you just do it. And you're like, you know what? Just don't think about it. Don't, there are so many secondary losses that I didn't want running or birthday cakes or whatever to be yet another thing that I lost. I just didn't want running to be another thing that I lost. And it took me almost three years to do it. And I don't know that it's, you know, I don't, it's not that it doesn't bring me joy. It's just, I mean, I've got so many other things going on in my life that I don't know that running half marathons is going to be something that I do, but I just don't want, I didn't want it to be another thing that was taken from me without my consent. If I decide not to do it, that's one thing. If I decide, you know, uh, not really into running races anymore. Maybe I'll just kind of do some other activity or whatever it might be. But I didn't want it to be taken without my consent. And I think that's that's one of the hardest things is, you know, if I'm not going to run, I don't want it to be because it's too hard for me and it's too emotional for me. Like I want it to be because I don't want to do it or whatever it might be. But I didn't want it to be because it's it's too emotional and too hard and reminds me too much of Josh. Because if there's anything in this life that brings me joy. He would absolutely want me to do it. So I know this episode got a little bit long, a little more monologue a little more, you know, side story about my journey of running. And maybe you're like, eh, we don't really care. And that's fine. Um, but I just think it's important to share like how important my journey of running was, how it went from being this punishment to something I just thoroughly enjoyed and I had no idea that it could be a hobby and my husband introduced that to me and that's what's so complicated was it was like this gift that he gave me and he you know just anything that he believed in me and was like oh yeah you could do this and I before I met him I never would have thought I was capable of doing anything like that I never thought I was capable of going back to grad school I never thought I was capable of you know there's so many things that he just believed in me and I did it and he just set that bar high and I don't I don't know how else to describe our relationship other than just encouraging um, and supportive. And so whatever it might be, if there's something that you wish you could get back into doing, you know, there's, there's people that are like, oh, I used to love, you know, going to craft fairs with my mom and it's just not the same. Like, that's fine. If it reminds you of your mom and you don't want to go, then don't go. But maybe, maybe it's a, tra- a tradition where you start bringing your kids with you and you guys start doing it. So just... 
If you take anything away from this episode, whatever that thing is that's been hard to do since you lost your loved one or went through your divorce or whatever it might be, yes, you don't have to do it. You, you don't have to do it. But if you want to do it, I hope this encourages you to do it. Bloom and grow. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Bloom and Grow with Liz Fiddler podcast. You can find us at bloomandgrow.llc on Instagram and Bloom and Grow with Liz Fiddler on Facebook. We're always looking for stories of those who have gone through the trenches of grief and found a way to keep blooming and growing through it. So if you have an idea for an episode, please send us an email, liz at sunnymarymeadow.com and tell us what you think. You can also go to our website, www.bloomandgrowwithliz.com and sign up for our email list. You'll find all of that information in the episode notes. Thanks for being here. Bloom and grow.